Am I on here? First service, I wasn't on. I think I was still loud enough, but I wasn't on, you know? Um, not to copycat off Jeff Ewing, but uh, it should be Youth Group Leaders Day. I'm so proud. Ben and the girls, like, it's just awesome. It was neat how that all worked out. Um, it's been a rough start into Mother's Day for me. A lot of you know that I am an avid bird watcher and bird lover. Do you know that? Something very terrible happened to me, and Bria seems to believe that it has something to do with motherhood. She says that when robins are, you know, working with their nests and having their babies, they get a little bit crazy. I've never been a pregnant woman or a mother, so I don't know how crazy this can be. I'm just crazy on my own. But I was driving down the road past Norman Library the other day, and a robin flew in front of my car, and he didn't get away fast enough. And I smacked into him, and I heard a thud, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and there were feathers flying. This was very disturbing to me. I drove back a little bit later. It was. I thought of the sparrow falls to the ground and Jesus know. <laughs> Look at my nephew Jake. He's clapping. He doesn't like that. Yeah, it was gross. And I drove back and I guess five more cars had hit it before I got there. And I mean, I'm telling you, this thing was as flat as a piece of paper on the road. Now, this is no lie. The only thing sticking up further than paper was the beak. <laughs> That was sad. Oh, this is very disturbing. Okay, so anyway, um, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. Happy Mother's Day to my mom, even though during my Sunday school class today, she interrupted and said, what in the world are you trying to do to us so early in the morning? Okay, still I wish her Happy Mother's Day. Um, Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Happy Mother's Day to all of the women who are here today. Some of us are not mothers, but we are nurturers in other ways. And um, Wednesday night I watched Annette running around in her little green Awana shirt, and I thought, thank you, God, for Danette and the nurturing that she does with our young people. And I'm thankful to have two of my nephews here, Noah and Jake, thankful for the input that we are that are not mothers can put into other people's lives. And so I say we honor mothers today and we honor women today. But um, if you'd bring up the PowerPoint for me, the bigger thing that I would like to say is that, thank you, motherhood, like all things, should ultimately point us back to God. All right? It's not really about mothers. It's not really ultimately about families. It's not about friends. It's really not about all these other things. But everything, all created things, should point us back to the Creator. And so I don't want to have a message today on mothers. I want to have a message today on Jesus. Amen? I'm going to trace motherhood and what it means and how it points us back to God. And I sincerely pray that the hymn that I chose for us to sing before the message, The Comforter Has Come, it's a good old hymn, I am sincerely praying this morning that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, would come and sweep over this place and comfort you in every place that you need it this morning. Because God is our nurturer. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your sweet presence here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom to gather. And may we never take for granted times like this. This is not ordinary time. This is not just a bunch of people gathered together in a building to be religious. This is miracle time, God. It's time when your word will be presented 
and the power of your Holy Spirit will work. And I pray for every person's heart right now that we all need healing, we all need comforting, we all need nurturing in many, many different ways. And so I ask you, Lord, to move and work and touch us exactly where we are this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So motherhood points us back to the Creator. And we know that we need that because um, how many of you realize that there is a lot of pain in this life? A lot of pain. A lot of emotional pain, a lot of physical pain. A lot of things have gone wrong. And we can trace what has gone wrong, ironically, back to the very first woman and the very first mother named Eve. Before Eve ever ever even became a mother, when she was a woman, she was in the garden, she chose on purpose to take Satan at his word instead of God at his word. And before we point our finger back and say, oh, Adam and Eve, weren't they bad? I can't believe what they did. We need to look at our own hearts and understand that we are exactly the same. Eve had God speaking to her, and she chose to take Satan at his word instead. We have God's word in our hands today, and we many times choose Satan over the written word of God that he has clearly made known to us, right? We do this. And so what happened was in her rebellion, her and Adam, when they chose to sin against God and rebel against him, everything got messed up. It was a gigantic mess. From the second it happened, Adam and Eve felt the need to run, to cover, to hide. They immediately became ashamed. They became estranged from God, estranged from one another. Everything just went completely downhill. And how quickly sin works its way into humanity and continues to spread out its tentacles to this very moment to each one of us. Matter of fact, I was thinking about this the other day, and what we need to do with the historical accounts of the Bible is we need to realize these were real people. And and even though I've known this my entire life, the other day I sat down and I thought to myself, can you imagine poor Eve? Now think about this, all of you that are mothers. I want you to imagine something. One day you wake up, and your firstborn child in cold blood, murders your second-born child. Think about that. This is one of the things that Eve endured as the result of the sin curse that had come upon humanity. She had to endure the, the angst, the guilt, the confusion, the pain, and the misery of watching her own flesh and blood, her firstborn child, slay her second-born child. You think you have pain and misery today? Many experience pain and misery like that. And we all experience emotional pain. But it all began back at the beginning when we chose to rebel against God. And to this moment now, many of us are experiencing pain in many, many ways. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, when he was instructing Christians on how to live, he said, one thing that you ought to do is rejoice with those who rejoice, and you have to weep with those who weep. Now, if you step back and take a bird's eye view, bird's eye view, get it? Okay, if you step back and take a bird's eye view of this verse, one thing that this verse is telling you is that at any given moment, there are two different groups of people. 
those who are rejoicing and those who are weeping. Now, the mystery of it is you can be a person who's rejoicing and weeping at the same time. How many of you know that the biggest celebrations in life can also hold the deepest disappointment? When are people more lonely and more disappointed and more frustrated than at Christmas time, when they're supposed to be at the highest point of celebrating? And I propose that it's the same thing with things like Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day today. And though we're supposed to be celebrating, that can bring the biggest points of disappointment. For instance, I know that sitting in this sanctuary today, there are women who are old enough that you have experienced the death of your own mother already. And that's painful, isn't it? So Mother's Day is a time to rejoice, but it's also a time to weep. And then there are mothers here this morning. You are young enough that you have young children, maybe many children. Maybe you're having to work outside of the home. Your life is just absolutely crazy. You're so exasperated you can hardly even rejoice in Mother's Day. Amen? At this given time, there are mothers, there are women who are sitting here who are mourning the sickness or the death of their children or the waywardness of their children, how they are lost in sin. There are children who are mourning wrong relationship with their mothers because of dysfunction, all kinds of problems. There are mothers, uh, there are women sitting here who are hurting because they're not mothers, and there are mothers sitting here feeling, feeling guilty because they don't know if they're the right kind of mother. Do you all agree that in the greatest celebration there can be the deepest disappointment? And so let's not play games. You know I'm not a person to play games. Happy Mother's Day. But it's got to be more than about motherhood because it still hurts. And the Bible says there are going to be those who are rejoicing and those who are weeping. But thankfully, this time of weeping will come to an end, won't it? When I read this verse, my mind went immediately to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, that says, even though some weep now, there is coming a day when he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. Amen. I love it. But for now, for now, we're living in a broken world, and there is pain, and there is hurt. So let's get real about it, and let's talk about it. Because God got real about it. When Adam and Eve sinned, did he just throw the whole thing away and ball up the universe in his hands and say, see you later? That's not what he did. Even as God brought judgment to the world because of sin, he was tucking hope into the judgment. And I'm here to tell you this morning that even as you're in pain and misery, God is tucking hope into your life. Now, the first gospel that we find in the Bible is not found in John 3.16. It's actually found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. What's happening here is God is speaking to the serpent or Satan. Eve and Adam have just sinned. And God is about to pronounce the judgment for their sinfulness. What he's going to do is he's first going to pronounce judgment on the serpent or Satan. Then he's going to pronounce it on Eve. Then he's going to pronounce it on Adam and the earth. Okay? So here he is. Do again to imagine this is real history. So when God walks up to the serpent, who before he was judged probably stood upright as a beautiful creature, when God went to that serpent to pronounce judgment on him, Adam and Eve would have been in the garden listening. Okay? So imagine that you're Adam and Eve, and you've just sinned against God, and here comes God into the garden to pronounce judgment on you, and you're standing back because you're watching Satan get his first. 
And you're, has that ever happened to you, like with your brothers and sisters? Well, she's going to get hers first. Whoa, what's mine going to be? Okay, they were probably standing there scared to death, wondering what was going to happen. But I want to show you how just by listening to what God was saying to Satan, God was giving Adam and Eve immediate hope despite their punishment. Now watch this. So he comes to the serpent in the presence of Adam and Eve, I'm sure, and says, I am going to put enmity or hatred between you and the woman. Okay, so first of all, before this happened, Eve was like all hunky-dory with with Satan talking to him like he was a friend. God said, no more of that. She's going to hate you now for what you've done, and you're going to hate her for what's going to happen now. So there's going to be hatred between you and the woman. And not only that, Satan, but there is going to be hatred between your offspring and her offspring. Now, first of all, what is Satan's offspring? Now, offspring here means progeny, ancestors, seed, okay? Who is Satan's offspring? I want to say a very hard statement this morning. Jesus made it clear who Satan's offspring is. When Jesus addressed people like the Pharisees in John chapter 8, he went to them and he said, because they sought, they did not believe in Jesus for who he was, they sought to destroy Jesus, okay? And Jesus went to them and they were trying to say, we're children of Abraham, we're children of God. And do you know what Jesus said to them? Your father's not God. Your father is the devil, okay? The devil has offspring, And they are human beings who choose not to be in a relationship with their true father because they have believed the father of lies. There is no neutral ground. You either serve God or you serve the devil. There is no in-between. And so Satan has offspring, and he's had offspring all throughout history. So God said, look, uh, devil... There's going to be hatred between your offspring and her offspring. Now, when God talks about her offspring, meaning Eve's offspring, it's very interesting because he narrows it down to one particular person. Look at what he uses. He uses a pronoun. He says, he. Now, we all know that Eve had many children, correct? And as far as ancestors go, we're all the ancestors of Eve. So she had quite a few. Do you agree? But when God pronounced this judgment, he said, he. He narrowed it down to one particular ancestor, one particular man that was going to come from Eve. And we know that this man is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Because the Bible is very clear in Galatians 4.4 that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Jesus, his earthly mother, was Mary. He came from the seed of a woman. So when we go back to this, we understand. Here's Adam and Eve standing there, and they had no children yet. They had just sinned against God, and they're watching the devil get his, and they're probably wondering, wonder what's going to happen to us. And if you think about it, immediately the first thing that they would have known by this pronouncement is, well, I guess we're going to get to live a little bit because we're going to get to have kids. And there was hope. God's not going to destroy. He's not going to wipe us out completely. Someone is going to come. Now, Adam and Eve would have had no idea when this he would come. But somewhere down the road, at some point, there would be a particular man that would come. And what he was going to do was to bruise the head of Satan. Now, in the Hebrew, the word bruise here means crushed. Now, you may get a crushed finger or a crushed toe at some point in your life. 
But, buddy, if you get a crushed head, you're in trouble, okay? So it says he's going to get his head crushed. In other words, God was prophesying that this he, this Jesus, was going to come and was going to completely do away with the power of Satan one day. Amen? And this is clear. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that he took down the powers of hell. Now, we haven't seen it completely fulfilled yet. We're waiting for that day. Amen? And that day is coming. The Bible is very clear. Oh, I love this. Romans chapter 16, verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath of your feet. Wow, in first service, I said to the people in first service, and I think I can say it to you, although there's a few of you that look a little bit lively. You guys look like you need to do a happy dance over Satan. Okay? This is what the Bible says. It says there's a day coming when you are going to get to crush Satan underneath your feet because you believe in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I can't wait for the day that I get to trample him down. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that the Son of God, the reason he came to the earth was to destroy the work of the devil. And the work of the devil is sin. And there's coming a day when God is going to eradicate sin. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. The Bible makes very clear that there's coming a day when God is going to take the devil and throw him into the lake of fire and burning sulfur where he will be tormented there forever and ever and ever, never to have any effect on us ever again. Amen. Thank you. I say amen a lot. It's just a side rabbit trail. I have to say this. I guess I say amen a lot when I speak, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that people will say amen back to me. And I guess Taya, Bria's daughter, has heard me preach a lot. And she said to Bria one time, she said, why does Miss Shelley say amen all the time? And she's talking. Why does she say amen? And I tried to explain to Taya, it means so be it. It means you agree with me, right? You're in agreement with what I just said. That's what amen means. And so sometime Taya was with Bria and she was saying, oh, mommy, you know, I can ride my bike now. I can brush my hair now. I can, I can brush my teeth all by myself. I can do this and I can do that. And she said, amen, mommy. <laughs> That's because you agree with me, right? Okay, yeah. That's the proper use, okay? Amen. This is going to happen. Satan's head is going to be crushed. Hope is tucked in to this pronouncement of judgment. And then God goes on to say, and you, Satan, the only thing you're going to be able to do is to bruise his heel. Now, it is true that Jesus' heel was crushed, so to speak, and he received a temporary limp when he chose to come to this earth and suffer as we do, be tempted as we are. And to die on that old rugged cross, he received a temporary limp. But I want to tell you, he rose from the grave. And when he did, he took victory over Satan. So the gospel is first pronounced in Genesis chapter 3 to the first man and woman before this woman ever became a mother. But now she knows, I am going to become a mom. Because God has just told me that my seed, my offspring, is going to crush the head of Satan. And so in essence, here's what the Bible is saying, that motherhood is a part of the plan of salvation. Hallelujah. 
Motherhood is a part of the plan of salvation. Eve had to have children. They had to have children and, and on and on down the line. But I submit to you that not only is motherhood a part of salvation, but motherhood specifically points to Jesus Christ, does it not? When's the first time in the Bible you read about children coming? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And when it talks about the children coming, it talks about a particular one, and his name is? Jesus. Hallelujah. So motherhood is meant to point us to Jesus. So I'm going to say to you that even in your pain today, whatever your pain may be, the loss of your mother, the dysfunction of your family, the stress of your own self as to how you will be a mother, as to how you need nurturing yourself, whatever failures, whatever struggles you have right now in your life, in your relationships, in your family, I submit to you that even in our pain, the whole concept of motherhood and all created things is to lead us to the Creator, even when we talk about motherhood. That means that God must be our ultimate nurturer. Now, some people, when they, when, when they read that, they may say, well, Shelley, God is our nurturer? I mean, I know He's our reigning King. He's powerful and mighty. Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. God is a nurturer? Well... Let's go back to the book of Genesis again, where it all began. The Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So that means that women were also made in the image of God, correct? Now, if I was made in the image of God as a woman, then there had to be something in God that is of the feminine nature, Yes. No one said this better than Alice Matthews, who used to write for Our Daily Bread, and I believe she still does. She published a book with Discovery House Publishers called A Woman God Can Lead. And one time I read this, and I think she said it so perfectly. The triune God had built a need into Adam for fellowship with another creature who also bore God's image. All that was feminine in the nature of God needed human imaging as well. Eve was no afterthought. She was indispensable. In God's words in verse 18 of Genesis 2, Adam's being without Eve was not good. In other words, when God created Eve, she also came from his image. So male and female both reflect who God is, correct? Therefore, God is the greatest nurturer. Hallelujah. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three are nurturers. I'm going to show you this from the Word of God. First of all, and I want you to take comfort in this. If you don't have your own mother, if your own mother has failed you, if you feel you're failing as a mother, if you have never gotten to be a mother, whatever the situation may be, whatever your pain in any relationship, I want you to know that God is there to be your comforter. The Father is a nurturer. In Isaiah 49:15, God was speaking to his people, and he asked a rhetorical question. And this is very interesting uh, because I've seen this verse come true in many lives. Watch this. God says, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her own womb? Now, you would think that the natural answer that would come back would be, no way. How could a mother neglect, forget, or abuse her own flesh and blood? 
I got to tell you something. I've been in Christian school, education with young people, and youth ministry for more than 20 years. Women all over the place neglect their own flesh, abuse their own flesh, forget them. And I love my God because he doesn't play games. He doesn't try to hide what's true. We live in a broken world. And when God came back and answered this question, and I don't know how you feel or what you're going through in your life, here is what God said. He said, can this terrible, unnatural thing really happen? Yes. God says, even these may forget. But he looks at you this morning and he says, but I will never forget you. Your own mother may forsake you. Your own friends may reject you. Your own family may forget you. But God will never, ever, ever forget you. Hallelujah. Some people need to hear that this morning. God is the greatest nurturer. Matthew Henry said of that verse, he said, God's compassions to his people infinitely exceed those of the tenderest parents towards their children. What are the affections of nature compared to those of the God of nature? Hallelujah. God loves you infinitely more than even your own mother could. The reason we have mothers is to point us to the one who loves us. That's the reason for the family and every institution that God has created. Isaiah 66, 13 of the Father, he said to us, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Now, this made me think of a particular situation with kids when they scrape their knee. Okay, you got a little kid like three or four years old, five years old. They're out playing with their friends. They fall down on the cement and they scrape their knee and they see a little bit of blood. What immediately happens? I mean, death is at their door. Uh, This is a very scary situation. First of all, I'm terribly embarrassed in front of my friends, and now I'm crying. So I got to run in the house to mommy, and all of a sudden they're flailing into the house. Forget the friends. They're going, ah, they're running into the house. They've seen blood now. They must be dying. They run into mom, and the whole world appears to be falling apart. What's going to happen to me? And what do they do? They crawl up onto their mom's lap. Mom puts her hand on their head, strokes their hair, looks the little child in the face, looks at the tiny drop of blood, you know, and says, it's going to be okay. Now listen to me. That is you and me. And we scrape our knees sometimes, don't we? We fall down. We scrape our knees We experience something in life, something happens to us, and we go running away from everyone else, and we're so ashamed and we're so embarrassed, and we think it's the end of the world as we know it, don't we? Do we adults do the same thing? And I submit to you this morning that what the Father wants you to do is to crawl up on his lap, and he will stroke your head and look you straight in the eyes and say, it's going to be okay. I know you think this is the end, but it's not the end. I know this is really big to you, but it's not really big to me. Hallelujah. God is our nurturer. The Father is our nurturer. Jesus is a nurturer. The Son is a nurturer. He made this very clear. Some of you have seen these pictures when I did a message before called Hens and the Higher Love of God. I want to tell you, Jesus, when he spoke to Jerusalem... 
He was so disappointed with what should have been the capital, the city of worship. They were actually stoning his prophets instead of loving him. And he went to the city of Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that, sto- that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Look at what he said. How often would I gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? I cannot believe that the king of the universe, the son of God himself, when he chose to liken himself to something, likened himself to a female fowl. Really? He said, you want to know what I'd like to do? I'd like to be like a hen. A woman chicken. Okay? And I, I read that when I first read that a couple of years ago. I'm like, what is... Why? What is he saying? Well, since then, I've done a lot of research on chickens and hens. Yeah, there are people who've earned their doctorate degree in, like, chickenhood. Okay? There's people who study chickens their whole life, got a Ph.D. on this stuff. And I've gone to these websites, and I've researched this. And apparently, you know, hens, they're very serious about project, protecting their chicks. Very serious. And a matter of fact, not only did I go to current information, but I went back to the first century A.D., and I'm going to share that in a minute. But first, let me bring up my first picture of a hen, and I want you to picture that the hen is Jesus and that you are the chick to your right looking back into Jesus' eyes. Watch this. Jesus said in his word, this isn't Shelley Prindle, this is God's word. Jesus said in his word, I'd like to be a mother hen for you. This is what Jesus is saying. I'd like to be putting my wing over you. And look at that chick on the right just looking back into the eyes of Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful thought? And I want to read something to you. This was actually written by the Greek historian Plutarch, who we have no reason to believe was a Christian. But he obviously thought a lot about hens. Now, he didn't probably know, or maybe he did, that Jesus had likened himself to a hen in the Bible. But I find this absolutely amazing, what Plutarch said in the first century A.D. about hens. He said, what of the hens whom we observe each day at home, with what care and assiduity they govern and guard their chicks? Some let down their wings for the chicks to come under. Others arch their backs for for their chicks to climb on them. Okay? Now listen to this next sentence. I want you to listen to this in light of Jesus saying he was like a hen. Here's what Plutarch said hens will also do. He said, there is no part of their bodies with which they do not wish to cherish their chicks if they can. My mind went to Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. There is no part of their bodies that they will withhold trying to cherish their chicks if they can. Amen? Jesus gave every bit of himself to save us. And he goes on to say, nor do they do this without a joy which they seem to exhibit in their very voices. Now, this next picture, I want you to picture Jesus again because he likened himself to a hen is one of my favorites because in the next picture, it's, it's like the mother hen is just standing there and the look on her face is, go ahead, mess with my babies. Watch this. Yeah. See that? 
Look at those two little chicks peeping out. They think they're real tough, don't they? They're real tough with mama over top of them. And you know what Jesus is saying to you? Yeah, you can be real tough too because Jesus is over you. Hallelujah. He is over us. He longs to be the mother hen protecting us and over us. Now, this next slide, before I show it, I want to give you a little quiz on biology, okay, nature. How many legs does a hen have? I love it. This happens every time. It doesn't matter where it goes. I traveled to Somerset to... um, to Butler Alliance yesterday, I was in first service this morning, and here, there must be something about the way I teach. I'll ask the most simple question, like something everybody knows the answer to. And when I ask it, somehow everybody goes completely blank. How many legs does a hen have? Okay, yeah. Two? Okay. Wrong. Fourteen. <laughs> you were wrong. Fourteen legs. No, this is beautiful, isn't it? I want you to, when you see this picture, I want you to think of what Jesus said. He said, I long to be a mother hen to you. And just look at how many of us can crowd under Jesus and be safe. Hallelujah. And not only can we be safe to stand under him, we can be safe to walk in him. You might say to me, Shelly, I really need a nurturer. I really need someone to love me because i got to walk down some roads in the future here that I don't know how I'm going to get down. And I would say to you, Go under the wings of Jesus and walk down the road. Hallelujah. Okay. Father is a nurturer. The son, Jesus, is a nurturer, likening himself to a female fowl. And then the Holy Spirit is a nurturer. The Bible says in John, when Jesus was about to leave the earth, he said, I'm going to pray to the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. I won't leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Some versions call this counselor, advocate, helper. But the thought is very clear. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Children run to their mother to learn. When they have questions, when they don't understand, they go to their mom. God wants you to go to the Holy Spirit who lives in you through Jesus Christ. Another version puts verse 18 this way. I will not leave you as orphans. You see that? The Father is a nurturer. The Son is a nurturer. The Holy Spirit is a nurturer. And finally now, not only is God a nurturer, but he's the only perfect nurturer. How many perfect moms do we have in here this morning? (laughs) Okay, possibly one. (laughs) Possibly one. (laughs) I looked to Lindy and her eyes went straight down as soon as I see there's a humble woman. Okay, yeah. Blessed Mary, mother of Jesus. Maybe she was the perfect mother. Here's what happened. Now, I can relate to this story because my brother Jan will remember this. You can just hide your head in shame. Um, We grew up going to Calvary Assembly in Irwin, right behind Giant Eagle back there. And so I remember one Sunday, Clear's Day, and it was so long ago that we, the children, were riding in a pinto. All in the back with no, without seatbelts back in the day, you know. Okay, so um, my mom and my aunt were driving us together. So there was like, I don't know, six or seven kids involved. And we were all, all after church, clumped us all into the back of this Pinto. We start driving down Pennsylvania Avenue, okay. Going down Pennsylvania Avenue. We just about reached this three-way stoplight down there when all of a sudden somebody said, where's Johnny? That's my other brother. That's Jan. He's the favorite. He is. 
never gets forgotten, gets treated better than me. Believe it. Okay, he's the favorite. So somebody said, where's Johnny? Johnny, go-. he was in first service this morning. If you ever see Johnny, tell him you're his favorite. Or he's your favorite. Okay, so anyway, where's Johnny? We turn the pinto around. We drive back down. And there on the curb of Calvary Assembly, I'll never forget it, was little black-haired Johnny sitting on the curb like this. Yeah. Now, Mom, you're in good company. Okay, because when we read the Bible in Luke chapter 2, the Bible says that Jesus was taken to the Passover feast with his mom and his dad, and they probably traveled in a clan with friends and family. But the Bible says when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents did not know it. What does it say about Mary and Joseph? They were always fully aware of Jesus' whereabouts, taking very good care of him. No, his parents didn't know that he was left behind in Jerusalem. Supposing him to be in the group, they actually went a whole day's journey. They didn't just get to, well, at least we only got to the stop sign and said, where's Johnny? Okay, they go an entire day and say, where's Jesus? I don't know where he's at, okay? And then they finally began to search for him, okay? Now, Jesus was never lost, of course, because he was always about his father's business. But in the human sense, even Jesus' parents were not perfect, but when I read that, my mind flipped it. My mind works in strange ways. And my mind went to a, a scripture that is totally the opposite of this. Even Jesus' parents lost him. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus loses no one. Jesus said, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I want to tell you something. Your Jesus will never forget you, no matter who else does. And not only will he not forget you in this life, but after you die and your spirit has gone to be with him and your body is disintegrating in the ground, Jesus says, I won't lose one molecule, one piece of dust that used to be you. And at the end of time, I will raise up every molecule of your body and I, you will be whole and right again because Jesus loses no one. God is the only perfect nurturer. He demands that we see him as the only perfect nurturer. He said clearly in the Bible, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Don't you put any person, don't you put any relationship, whether it's familial, whether it's friendship, whether it's a spouse, don't you put anyone in front of Jesus Christ, right? God is the only perfect nurturer. He demands that you not only see him that way, but that you live for him that way. And I'm going to close with this scripture. One time Jesus was speaking. He was preaching. And while he was speaking to the people, his own mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. So he's busy doing the will of God, preaching. And his real mom and his brothers said, we want to talk to him. And Jesus used this as a teaching opportunity, not to be cruel, but to put things in proper order for us. Here's what he said. He replied to the man who told him, who is my brother and who are my brothers? It's an odd thing for him to say. Then he stretched out his hand towards all his disciples and he said, here, here are my mother and my brothers. Wow. He said, whoever does the will of my father is my brother, my mother, my sister. That's a strong verse. 
Jesus, the greatest nurturer, was saying, if you actually do the will of God the Father, you belong to him. You are in his family. He demands that you see him as the only perfect nurturer and that you live for him as the only perfect nurturer. Hallelujah. He is the only one that will never fail you, the only one that can comfort you, and the only one who will never lose you. Because i got to tell you something. Even if you have someone that loves you so wonderfully on this earth, when you pass from this world to the next, they can't do anything for you. But Jesus loses none of his own. God is truly our nurturer. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, Holy Spirit. We praise you this morning, God, for the comfort that you have brought. We sense your presence here and your goodness, and we love you. We love you because you first loved us. And just like Eve and Adam in our own sinful state right now, Lord, you tuck hope into judgment. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus for any person in this place who has not said, I choose to have relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. If you have not yet done that, I pray that you do that in these moments. And say, yes, I believe that God is the greatest nurturer. That Jesus gave his life, every bit of his body, every bit of his self to save you. He did. Like a mother hen, he wants to hide you under his wings so that you can walk through this road called life. And in those final days, even when your body's been put in the ground, he will not lose you. He will raise you up. I pray, God, that your comfort comes to your people. In the name of Jesus, amen.